1: It is Thursday, March 19th, 2020. I am Dan Rubin. This is the Bucknuts Morning Five and Change. If it's Thursday, that can mean only one thing 24 7 sports director of recruiting, Steve Wolfong, checks in from Indianapolis. Steve, how goes it in the household with two small children when nobody can leave?
2: and Daniel it's challenging because my wife also has a work from home type job so when you have a work from home type job those don't end in quarantine you know and so um i feel bad for our kids uh to a uh, to a certain extent because they just want to hang and play and your 2-year-old in particular doesn't understand that that you you know you're trying to make a living uh, those honey nut cheerios aren't free
1: I saw some facebook of him uh making a cake with his shirt off so it looks like your wife was going to quarantine to do this pretty early.
2: Yeah man, it's
1: uh it's a lot of fun
2: with the young kids as many as, you, as many of you listeners know, but uh it, it'd be nice if we got some decent weather uh from a uh a precipitation standpoint. It's wet. It's foggy. We're sending that down I-70 through Dayton all the way to Columbus, Ohio, and the Ohio State campus. I just want to take my kids outside if they got to be in here, you know.
1: And I know we talk about weather too much on this show, but, listen, you people have nothing else to do. So these shows are going to get a little bit longer. They're all going to be longer than five minutes going forward, despite the name BM5. I saw for later this week there's a day coming where the high is 66 and the low is going to be 65. The next day, the high is 68, and the low is going to be 29. I just like bringing up I-70 because it's really what connects me to y'all,
2: me here in Indianapolis. I feel I have a connection to Ohio State in the front row and buck nuts because of I-70. Well,
1: because Ohio State basically owns the Midwest and arguably the United States, and that's my segue into recruiting, as I sat and got stuff ready for the show, I literally don't even know where to start. It's a hard time to get everything in here. As awful as the quarantine is, Ohio State Recruiting is performing. I used to use the word zenith. We're not going to use that anymore because they apparently can, can reestablish the zenith anytime they want. This class, and you wrote a great story about it this week that we're going to talk about. The class of 2021 has a chance to be their best ever. We talked a while back about uh, Trevion Henderson earlier this month, um, kind of being introduced to him as a prospect. And now Bill Kerwick, Bill Green, and Brian Doan followed your lead. And if Crystal Ball Trevion Henderson, they got Evan Prowler earlier in the week. They also got Andrew Purantine, J.K. Johnson, Devontae Smith. There's great news about Tamisi Adelaide out there. You have a tremendous story about Quinn Ewers on the site right now, a quarterback in Texas who likes Ohio State, a young guy for the future. Things are going quite well, Steve. Where should we start?
2: Let's start with Ohio State chasing history in this 2021 recruiting class, Dan. When you look at the top of the 24-7 sports composite team recruiting rankings, you have Ohio State there with 14 commits. What I like to look at more is the average ranking per commit, which is at 95.09. In the history of 24-7 sports, which goes back to 2009, we've never had a recruiting class over 95 when looking at average ranking per commit. We've only had five classes over 94. It's rare. Two of those classes over 94 were actually Ohio State 2017 and then the following year in 2018. That 2017 class is still pound for pound, the best recruiting class signed coming in. That class was headlined by Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, who I consider hits, uh JK Dobbins yeah. was in that class among many others. Um, so this class right now, uh with with what's already in the fold and then what could be coming has a chance to really obliterate that and, and where I'm going with that is in addition to what's already in the fold, Ohio State has crystal ball they're the crystal ball leader or have crystal ball burn for the following prospects. Five-star JT Maloa, who Bill Curley recently crystal ball at the five-star defensive tackle, ninety-nine point seven two is his rating. The number one receiver in the country, Emeka Igbuka, nine nine four four. Uh, the number one running back in the top two four seven, Trayvon Henderson, nine eight eight eight. Donovan Edwards, nine eight zero nine. JC Latham, nine seven eight seven. Tonmiisi Adelaide nine seven eight seven. The number two safety in the country, Derek Davis, nine seven, eight, oh. Those are all guys ranked in the top fifty, with the exception of Donovan Edwards and now Ohio State can very much land all those guys. And then beyond those guys, they're in the thick of it for guys like Tristan Lay, Damian Robinson, Rocco Spindler, taiwan Malone. Those are all top fifty guys too, with the exception of Malone, who's number fifty three. Nine seven five zero is Malone's ranking. So the, the Ohio State class has a chance to be one of the all-time greats. I mean, you look at Beyond, Troy Stellato, uh, Jagger Burton, Marcus Bradley, Kamar Wilcoxon. Uh, those are guys that if Ohio State landed, their average ranking per commit would take a hit. And those guys would be jewels for just about any other recruiting class. So, um, it, it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, what Ohio State's doing on the trail. They certainly got to finish. They got to get these guys to say yes. Uh, Some of these recruitments will have some twists and turns, but uh, right now it's looking
1: phenomenal for Ohio State. What's going on? Is it just coincidence? Is it just uh, the NFL draft? What is making it so great?
2: Well, I think this year, you look at these kids that are ranked extremely high this cycle, these are kids that fit in at Notre Dame or Stanford um, and Ohio State fits th- those kids with that kind of personality fit Ohio State um, as well like that's Ohio State's just the people at Ohio State from the coaching staff to the guys in the locker room you can be a Notre Dame or a Stanford type kid and find a lot of like-minded kids in the Ohio State locker room right now, and then you have your your football goals. Of Ohio State is 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 proven to be a notch above pretty much every program in the country, other than two or three that are in the same breath, right? So, um, I, I just think that this is a year where, when you look at the top of the rankings, it's also kids that are you know fit the culture. Uh, at Ohio State, and you know they're, they're still not going to get all these guys, they, but they got a good shot to get most of them. And I, I just think it, it's just one of those years where the the type, the quality of young men and the quality of the football player they are goes hand in hand, and and that's what's making a place like Ohio State
1: uh, attractive. I hope everyone understands what Steve is saying there, because it's an extreme compliment. Because by the way, the hit rate on guys who are a great combination of character and football skill is very high. Speaking of which, we referenced this earlier, Travion Henderson, he's the best running back I have seen on tape. I've watched it multiple times trying to pick out a weakness. I'll let you know when I find one. And when you have that many crystal balls from those people, that means he's a Buckeye. What exactly do you think they're getting?
2: Not to beat that dead horse, but, I mean, we're talking about a 4.0 kid that's phenomenal at football, phenomenal at track. Not only is he phenomenal at football, like, this is a guy that Clemson identified as a coveted defensive back last year. And that doesn't mean they're wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is a kid that could probably come in and, and be an All-American in the secondary. It just so happens that he popped in an, an amazing junior year, 2,424 yards rushing, 45 touchdowns. Still flipped over and had f- almost 50 tackles and three picks. 4.0 kid. Uh, He aims for the bullseye in everything that he does. His high school coach told me he's driven to be the best in the world. He went 15-0 and won a state title last year. And, you know, the very first quote from his head coach, obviously he's a hardworking kid, you know. But he talked about how Trevion transformed his body last spring. Uh, And maybe this is why he was projected as a defensive back early. From last spring to junior year, he put on 15 to 20 pounds of muscle. So... About a year and a half. In about a year and a half's time, he put on 20 pounds, 15, 20 pounds, and he got faster uh, doing it. And and uh, you know, just as a running back, obviously the vision. I mean, what makes him unique is his ability to accelerate and, and find his top end quickly. I mean, he's physical, can make people miss, but most importantly, he can he can run away from people. It encompasses what you're looking for on and off the field. I mean, same with guys like and Buka. And, and and Derek Davis and, and guys like that, they could go play for any school in the country. Um, academic, these are guys that would be getting into these schools without football.
1: That's awesome. If you watch Henderson too, there's some uh, video of him running the hundred. He is clearly the thickest one there. That weight you've mentioned, he clearly has added to his upper body. He's not a little scatback. It does look like he's he's going to be able to carry about two hundred two hundred five pounds at some point. He's not Reggie Bush. How do you envision him working with Evan Pryor? What were your thoughts on him as you uh, followed his recruitment?
2: Well, I talked to Evan Pryor and he, he Evan Pryor is excited to be part of a two-back system and, and the wear and tear. And I think we're seeing a lot of high school running backs that are welcoming that because they understand that there's only so many hits that their body can take over the course of their career and they want to play as long as possible. And I just think... With guys like Travion Henderson and, and Evan Pryor, it's more about just spelling each other and uh, being fresh. Just always having fresh legs and a fresh body uh, in the backfield, um, and, and and having guys that can be difference makers, you know, at all points of the game because they're fresh.
1: You know, Georgia's had a lot of success doing that, and truly the NFL does not want you with all the tread off your tires. They'd rather you come out early or split time in the backfield. What do you expect in the next week or so from the Buckeyes? We just had an absolute flurry with the turn tying J.K. Johnson, Devontae Smith. There's talk of Kamar Wilcoxon. There's talk of Henderson possibly committing in the near future. Do you have anything on the docket that we should be looking out for?
2: Well, they're pushing for Kamar Wilcox, and I, I think he'll be a Buckeye. Um, Travion Henderson, I think, could be the next one in. Uh, if I was predicting next commit, uh, I would predict Henderson. Um, but they're in on, on, on a, in on a lot of guys, and with the coronavirus and, and 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 young men not being able to take visits, colleges not being able to host visits, some timelines are getting rattled. I don't know who, someone may just pop and say, "Hey, I'm I'm done." You know, I've seen what I needed to see. I was going to take those spring visits, but those were a formality. Um, And uh, look, Ohio State—they're already proven that they don't even need a visit. They don't even potentially need a visit to get a kid. If Travion Henderson commits to Ohio State, they will do that sight unseen. And uh, look, look, Tony Alford took a lot of flack on this board last year. And when you're wearing that black O on your golf shirt it comes with a lot of scrutiny. It's a program that um, has a lot of passionate fans, as we know. And um, the diehards are um, analyzing every intricate detail. And, uh, you know, um, they wanted to get B. John Robinson and Kendall Milton last year, and it didn't work out. But Tony Alford's had some amazing recruiting wins. He landed Lewis Nix at Notre Dame a blue-chip defensive lineman who was a key cog on Notre Dame's defensive line that made it to the title game, Um, without a head coach. It was in between Charlie Weiss getting fired and Brian Kelly coming in, and and, and that kid commits to Tony Alford because of the relationship. J.K. Dobbins, a blue-chip running back out of the Lone Star State, Texas, picks Ohio State sight unseen, And, and, and a lot of it had to do with the relationship with Coach Alford. And and I and you guys read my story on Trey and Henderson naming his top schools. A lot of his quotes was the relationship he has with with Coach Alford, Now, certainly Ryan Day, the head coach of Ohio State, player development. All of that uh, goes hand in hand. But you know, a lot of these kids are picking schools based on relationships. That receiver class Ohio State signed last year, relationship deal. Julian Fleming and his relationship with Brian Hartline had a lot to do uh, with him being a Buckeye, and and, and so. Um, you know, we'll see if Ohio State can close Travion Henderson. And, um, but, but Coach Alford's always been a good recruiter. He wasn't a bad recruiter last year when, when, when they missed on some key guys. Um, it's just, you know, some of these bad, hey, the other schools are recruiting hard too, and they got a lot to sell as well.
1: Tony Alford deserves a ton of credit. He's also been key in hooking some of the defensive guys, so. We are happy to have him around. We are happy to have Steve here to share how glorious things are. We will be back with the full breakdown of the basketball season with 24-7 sports basketball guru Brian Snow. Steve, thanks for stopping by, brother. Take
2: care. You all see you on the front row.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love,
1: As promised, Buck knows, we are going to try and put the college basketball season into perspective, and there's no one better to do that than Brian Snow of 24-7 Sports. Brian, you spend your entire spring on the road at AAU events making friends. What the heck are you going to do for the next few months?
3: Um, Stare out the window like a dog is basically <laughs> the best I can come up with. It's going to be a unique experience since I've been 20 years old. I've been gone every weekend in the spring, and now I'm looking to foster a dog because I don't know what I'm going to do with my life.
1: It is going to be a challenge, so we're going to ask Brian to speculate plenty here on what he saw, what he expects to see, and uh, put everything to bed here. Considering the NCAA tournament was canceled, I'm sure you had some vibes going in. Who was going
3: to be your final four? You know, certainly going in, I liked Kansas. I liked Baylor. It depended on the health of Mike or not my Marcus Zagorowski, but I did like Creighton, and then you know I I didn't know quite where to go. I might have said you know like Kentucky or something like that. I, I'm not I'm not sure. It would have been kind of a gut feel, but I did like Kansas and Baylor for sure. And then you know Creighton was a school. Creighton and Seton Hall were kind of two schools I saw being able to make a run. And then maybe if I had to pick a fourth, I I would go Gonzaga.
1: No flyers.
3: I just didn't see it. Your Xavier about,
1: Root's coming out there, brother.
3: No, no. I was concerned about rebounding and then defensively. It would it just be a little bit different for him. Um, I think Dayton's really good and obviously OB Toppins is a stud. But like when you're starting Trey Landers and Ryan Mike Sell, you really have to sell me on a Final Four. And I just thought, they would come up a little bit short of that, though I, I didn't think they'd be like a second-round exit or anything like that. I just I didn't quite view them as a Final Four team. I thought they were really damn good, but not Final Four. You would have had Kansas as your winner? Yeah, Kansas was the school starting about midseason. I said that's the best team in the country, and they, they kind of had it all. You know, they had a really dominant point guard in Devin Dotson, a big guy in Yudoka Asabuki, and then they had just enough shooting to get through, and then with an elite elite defense like they had, I mean, they would just lock you down. That I, I would have picked Kansas, but, you know, obviously it's the NCAA tournament, and, you know, nothing's guaranteed. But I thought they were the team playing the best and the best, maybe not best individual NBA talent, but best overall combination of talent and experience.
1: Dotson didn't get a ton of press this year, but I really thought, damn good player. He was the difference when Kansas beat Dayton. As um, a yeah. had a nice game, but... But Dotson's ability was really the difference maker. And uh, without anyone, I guess Coppin would have been arguably the best prospect in the tournament, but I didn't see another team loaded with dudes that could handle Kansas, so I would have gone with that as well. Speaking of the Buckeyes, which we weren't, but we will now, what were your tournament expectations for the
3: Bucks? You know, I, I thought they could win a game. You know, if the draw broke right, maybe win two. Now, they were playing pretty well, but I just didn't think it was a team really – really destined to make a deep run. Um, there, there's limitations there. Obviously, like Caleb Weston if, if he had a, a stretch where he just dominated games, then then I think they, you know, could have done it. But I just didn't think they were quite explosive enough in the backcourt towards the scoring to really, you know, make a deep run. But, you know, if, if you've got a situation where the, the, right, the right matchups happened, the right draw came – I, I think a Sweet 16 was attainable, but I would have probably put them as a one-win-and-done team on my bracket.
1: Really kind of a bizarre season given how they started out. I'm not sure expectations were super high, but the way they played early, you know, they were at the top of the charts, and then be it injuries or scouting reports getting figured out, they really just didn't finish in the same respect. Do you consider this season progress for a Holtman
3: era? I don't know if progress is the term I would use, but I, I think it was a successful season. Every year, he's been building the program, building the roster the way he wants it with guys he's comfortable with that fit his personality. And, and you keep seeing it. They've got a deep and talented roster. Now, it's not going to be the Thad Mata, five-star you know, elite pros. That, that's just not going to happen with Chris and He'd be the first to tell you that. Um, first of all, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want to have that type of roster where you're constantly replacing. He, he wants to build continuity, build off four-year guys, and win that way. And I think you're seeing a lot of people in college basketball go to that model. Even Duke and Kentucky, they've kind of shied away from the top five players in the country here recently. Or not necessarily recently. People who really go to Zion was two years ago. But, like, you know, this recruiting cycle, neither of them really even target the top five guys. Um, kind of same with the last one. So they're starting to realize, you know, the one and done thing isn't all it's cracked up to be for a whole variety of reasons. So I think you're going to see Holtman just continue to build three- and four-year guys and then kind of pick his spots for the right top-tier talent. And, and this year was a reflection of that. He had a lot of good players. And they weren't great, but they were a lot of good players. And I think as it keeps going, it's going to keep building on itself. And that's where you see Ohio State potentially go to the next level where they can compete for a Final Four, where they can compete to stay in the top ten offseason long. Heading
1: into the offseason, I'd have to say the biggest question is the status of D.J. Carton. We could make an argument he was the most talented player on the roster, and I really felt like the offense was getting handed over to him right before he decided to take some time off. What's your uh, vibe on how it will go with Carton going forward? Do you expect him to return? If so, how
3: things could work out? I, I would phrase it as cautious optimism that, that he's going to return. It's certainly not a guarantee. Uh, whenever you're talking about, you know, issues of mental health, I don't know if issues is the right word, but what came to mind, mental health situations, it, it, it's tough. I've, it would appear that's more always kind of a day-to-day, week-to-week type of thing. So I don't think anyone can say for sure right now what DJ is going to do, and I, I certainly know I can't. Um, I do have some cautious optimism coming my way that he will be a part of the program next year. But, you know, this, there, there's not too many handbooks for a situation like this. So you just don't know for sure. Um, I think the staff is going to plan like they are going to have him with the understanding that it's possible that they won't. I know that sounds contradictory, but you know there, there's only so much they can do and and they're certainly not in control and they they have other higher people they have to answer to on this situation in terms of how they have to handle it in terms of you know student you know student welfare and things like that so i think they're going to hope that he's back but maybe have some contingencies potentially in place in case he's not
1: it's a slippery slope because that's a pretty big piece to have a contingency plan on as you look at the rest of the roster, who do you think will be back
3: and who do you think will jet? You know, there's a saying in college basketball that if if you're not playing, you're not staying. And if you're playing, you're staying. And that doesn't apply to everybody, obviously. You know, guys who play big minutes leave and, and guys who don't play stay. But, you know, it's just a good general rule. So, obviously, anyone can look at a box score and know who's not playing, you know, the guys who who don't get a ton of minutes, who are going to be greater flight risk guys, you know, Justin Arndt, Alonzo uh, Gaffney, you know, Ibrahim Diallo. those guys just didn't play very much this year. So they would be the ones who are more likely to leave. I, I think that's common sense. And clearly with Ohio State bringing in people, and already being over the scholarship limit, which will come back down when, when Caleb Westman announces his intentions to turn pro. Uh, that means, the Ohio State coaches anticipate at least someone leaving. So, you know, I I think it's obvious to expect that. It's the nature of college sports, and that's kind of where it is right now.
1: What about Gaffney makes you think he's going to leave? I know he left the team for um, off-the-court reasons. I believe they were medical. He was arguably the highest touted of the three coming in with Carton and E.J. Liddell, who we'll get to in a sec.
3: What are your expectations for Gaffney going forward? Um, you know, with Gaffney, it's just, again, it's not that I'm saying he's leaving. I, I don't know. But, you know, he, he's someone who fits the mold. You know, he just didn't play very much this year. And I'm sure he came in with expectations that he was going to play a lot more than he did. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the class coming in, Gaffney was the one who, as a junior, kind of you pointed to and said, man, this kid could be really, really good. And then it kind of tapered off his senior year. And that's kind of what he's shown, quite honestly, you know, at Ohio State. So the question becomes, was he a great prospect when he was younger or is he still a great prospect? And that's what everyone around the situation, including Alonzo himself, needs to answer.
1: Okay, one of the guys
3: I had huge expectations for
1: that I probably was – a my eyes were a little too big for my stomach, was EJ Liddell. I really thought Mm -hmm. he was an Antoine Jamison clone. He'd step in and be kind of their – eventually be their go-to guy on the block. It did not click for him. He kind of came on later in the year. Did I overrate him, or do you think it's just a learning process for him because he was a tremendous high school and AAU
3: player? No, I don't think you overrated him. I think you underrated how hard it is to be good in college basketball. I mean – at the end of the day, it's it's not easy. Uh, everyone expect, everyone sees top fifty freshmen, and they expect this huge Zion Williamson impact. The reality is, outside of the elite, elite, elite freshmen, most of those guys they're, they're five point six rebounds, five points four rebounds, six points two rebounds. That's kind of what freshmen do, and it's, it's really difficult. And a, and it really started to come on for EJ at the end, and you saw what type of player he could be, and I think he's gonna have a monster sophomore year arguably now their best chance to be an All-Big Ten
1: player next year, as crazy as that may sound. What do you think of the recruiting class, if you go through the class of 2020 name by name, and then maybe your expectations for them, obviously, given the fact that it's not easy to do that in the Big Ten as a freshman?
3: You know, it's a two-man class. It's Zed Key, a, a big man from New York, and then it's Eugene Brown, a shooter out of Georgia. Of the two, I think Zed Key is going to be more ready to play right away, and also he he's going to be in in a position where he's going to be able to get more minutes right away. He's about you know six seven maybe six eight you know on a really really good day, but he's skilled and he's tough. He's got long arms. He's not a great athlete, but he's going to fit in well in the Big Ten, and I think he can provide some help at the five position for Ohio State. And I think he'll find his way into the rotation, certainly by the end of the year. Maybe not like a top six or seven guy in the rotation, but someone they feel comfortable putting on the floor. With Eugene Brown, he's going to play on the wing, and Ohio State's going to have a lot of wings. You're going to have Justice Suing coming off transfer. You have Luther Muhammad. You have Dwayne Washington. You theoretically, most likely, almost assuredly, are going to have Steph Towns. I mean, there's just going to be a lot of guys. So, so getting those minutes is not going to be easy, so we'll see what Eugene can do, but at the end of the day, if he can consistently knock in shots, which most freshmen do not do, even even elite shooting freshmen tend to struggle shooting from three as freshmen, then he's going to find his way on the court because there's no substitute for being able to make shots, and, and that's what Eugene does, but I would think he's going to need a year to get his body right, to, to get everything together, and it's going to take him a little bit more time.
1: You mentioned suing and Towns. If you could let everybody know a little bit of what you think about suing. He was kind of off the radar this year as a, redshirt, excuse me, as a transfer sitting out from Cal. And then Seth Towns was a star as a prepster at Northland, went and got himself an Ivy League education, and like many Ivy League stars, has a year of eligibility left and will take it, we think, at Ohio State. How could those guys fit in and maybe explain – what their games are like for those who
3: may not know. You know, just assuming he had two good years at Cal, which means he'll have two years remaining at Ohio State. And he's he's not flashy, but he's a solid athlete who can defend, play multiple roles, you know, maybe be a double figure per game, score. He, that's about what he was on a bad, very bad Cal team. But, you know, he, he's just solid. You know, he gets to the rim a little bit, shoot a little bit, rebound a little bit, defend a little bit. No big weakness, no no unbelievable strength, but just a solid kid. Seth Towns, he's actually going to have two years of eligibility remaining. He's missed two years wow. due to injury, the last two years. Um, so no one's seen him play since March of 2018. And if you're scoring at home, that was a long time ago. So, you know, what's he going to look like? That's a heck of a question. I don't think anyone knows the answer to that. But the last time he was on a court, I believe he was the, the Ivy League player of the year as a sophomore. You know, to me, he's a stretch power forward who can shoot and then kind of play off of a closeout. Uh, we'll we'll see, again. We'll see what he looks like. You know, how healthy is his knee? How healthy is his foot? You know, like everything that goes into Seth Towns. Um, is he going to be physical enough to rebound at the, in the Big Ten? Uh, stuff like that. So that one's going to be interesting, just because there's so many question marks. But he's the he's a great kid. He's a great student. He's the type, the type of kid you like to have in your program, and and also him being a local kid definitely helps. It it means something to him to play for Ohio State. So unless he pulls the shocker of the world and does not commit to Ohio State, he's going to find himself in the rotation, pending health.
1: Yeah, unless we forget, this was not a kid who chose Harvard over Brown and you know Williams and MIT. He had plenty of Division One offers and just opted for Harvard, so can't blame him for that. Yeah. All right, we're going to get heavy into the hypotheticals here. Usually we wouldn't even do as much as this, but considering the fact everyone has extended free time, we're going to try to have some fun here. If you had to write this down right now, who do you think Ohio State's starting five will be for the opener
3: next year? Um, C.J. Walker at point guard, Luther Muhammad, at or excuse me, Dwayne Washington at the two, Justice Suing at the three, EJ Liddell at the four, and Kyle Young at the five. Interesting.
1: Chemistry wise, do you think Muhammad's is going to deal well with going
3: to the bench? No, but <laughs> not a, it's not a democracy; it's a dictatorship. So.
1: No, I would agree. In fact, I think that's a better role for him anyway. He just does not shoot the ball well enough to be a starting wing in the Big Ten, in my opinion. Um, Given all that, what are your, if you had to say, your expectations for next season, um, Ohio State-wise, what would you say?
3: Um, I I would put them as a borderline top 25 team next year. Um, Now, part of that is if DJ Carton comes back and he's one of the best point guards in the country, like, he theoretically could be, that totally changes the outlook. But there's too big of a question mark for me to assume that personally. So I look at it as a solid, deep, talented roster, but not one that's going to blow you away with with stars. And typically those teams, you know, they're always tough to beat at home. They're going to be in it on the road. They're not going to have too many of those games where you just throw them out because they played so poorly. And then Holtman's one of the best coaches in the country. So, you know, I I think they're going to be a good team, a a threat to be the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, but maybe not a team that's a true Final Four contender. Let's say Carton does come back and is worked into the fold uh, smoothly. How much would that affect their upside? If DJ Carton is one of the best point guards in the Big Ten, and Ohio State goes from a potential Sweet 16 team to a potential Final Four team because he's that talented. You know, before he left, it was the game at, I believe, Northwestern. And granted, Northwestern's terrible. But it was still a game on the road in the Big Ten against high major talent, and he was the best player on the floor by 10 miles. And there's no, no way to replicate that. They, they don't have another guy like him. And when you put that at the point guard position, that's huge. He'd be one of the best point guards in college basketball. He'd be leading them. He'd be theoretically back from adversity, tougher, stronger, the whole deal. A healthy, mind-right, dominating DJ Carton takes this team to a completely different level. Yeah,
1: you may want to go back, everybody, and listen to that 30 seconds again because that, to me, in a nutshell, is the Buckeyes. Now, we know for a fact that we don't know the answer to this, but if you
3: want to predict
1: I mean, what you think college
3: basketball will look like next season, this is your chance to get it on record. Um. Well, the first thing is, I'm just hoping there is college basketball next season. True because that. I'm not an infectious not an infectious disease expert. I know there's a lot of them on message boards these days, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> so I'm just hoping that there is one, you know, a season. I think you're going to be looking at Villanova's going to probably be the preseason number one team in the country, especially if Sadiq Bay comes back. North Carolina is going to be really young but really talented. Iowa, if Luca Garza comes back, could be preseason top five in the country. Then, you know, Duke and Kentucky are going to be Duke and Kentucky. So I, I think it will be a little, you know, a little bit different in that there's going to be some teams that people are really going to point to. Like if Sadiq Bay comes back for Villanova, I think they are the overwhelming preseason number one. And teams are just going to be frightened to play them. So that's that. They would be my, if I had to pick a national champion for 2021 right now, it would be Villanova. Um, I don't think the Big Ten will be quite as good, and part of that's because it was historically good this year. So I don't think the Big Ten will be quite as good. Without Cassius Winston, Michigan State should take a step back, and who knows if Xavier Tillman will come back. Michigan will be way different because even if they're, even if they're the same talent-wise, they're just going to play differently because this year everything went through Xavier Simpson, and that's not going to be the case next year, obviously, because Xavier Simpson is gone. If you're looking at Purdue, who was really young this year, they should be a threat in the Big Ten. Uh, Penn State will not be nearly as good. Maryland's going to take a huge step back, losing Anthony Cowan and Jalen Smith. So I I think the Big Ten will be very different than what it was this year, but some teams like Iowa, Wisconsin, potentially Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, they're still going to be really good.
1: It also highlights again that if Carton comes back, I like Ohio State the best of all those teams. We will see how it works out. We appreciate Brian stopping by. He's home and ready to take calls for anyone who's interested. Have a good one, Buckner.